Hi, welcome to the new Gibberji podcast season, The Secret Guide to Fundraising. I'm Ella, Gibberji's Global Client Services Manager. As a team of fundraising experts, we help clients globally raise as much money as possible. This is thanks to our award-winning platform and our team's consultative approach to provide the tools to raise more online and at events. My team spans across five regions, each bringing the Gibberji working method to charitable causes. Gala dinners are one of the main fundraising methods that our team support with advice covering from everything from ticketing, sales to post event follow-up. We're excited to share our best practices, tips and tricks through this medium. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. In today's episode, I'm joined by Katie Pappas, Executive Director at A Kid Again. This incredible nonprofit helps children with life-threatening conditions across America experience moments of positivity. Having run multiple gala dinners, Katie is very knowledgeable about what goes into producing an incredible gala. We'll explore what's needed before, during and after the event to ensure that your donors are engaged, your donations are made and the charity makes a healthy ROI. Whether you're part of a large or small organisation, tune in for some amazing personal stories and advice. So Casey, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. This I'm excited to have a great conversation about fundraising. That's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> <laughs> great. Me too. I'm excited to have you. So a bit about A Kid Again. Can you tell me a bit about the work that A Kid Again do? Yeah. So A Kid Again, our mission is to provide adventures for families who are raising children with a life-threatening condition. And our program, our mission is unique because these adventures are designed to include the whole family, right? Because sometimes siblings are affected just as much as, you know, the kiddo that's diagnosed with a condition or an illness. But again, in general, you know, it affects the entire family. So our adventures are for the whole family, but they're also group-based. So we take hundreds or thousands of families to a sporting event or the zoo or at a museum And then we also do it on a regular basis so that they always have something fun to look forward to. So I'm excited to be a part of this organization. We are small but mighty and growing and just so much looking forward to helping more families make great memories together. Yeah, which is absolutely lovely. I had a real look over everything you've been doing and I see you sort of deliver your boxes to families, so open the adventure and things like that. Yeah, just, again, helping them make great memories together. Because unfortunately, some of them don't have you know a lot of time left to make a memory. And so that's what drives us when we think about our program delivery and our fundraising efforts. Yeah, amazing. And how long have you been there? I've been here at the organization for five years now. I was a part of helping grow and expand the organization outside of Ohio. And so Indiana has been kind of a test market for how we expand what that looks like, what it takes to scale up a mission and reach more families. Amazing. Okay, great. And a little bit about you. So your journey into fundraising. So you've been there for five years, but sort of what is your background in fundraising? What got you hooked? (laughs) Sure, sure. So I grew up in a small community in Southern Indiana, and my family was always a part of giving back, helping others. I remember delivering Christmas gifts to families that were in need with my mom every year. My grandfather was a farmer and we'd always donate extra produce and things like that. So 
you know, I got the bug kind of early and just continued that into my professional career, getting a master's in nonprofit management and just knowing that, you know, what drives me is supporting and helping others. I had a friend years ago tell me, you know, the most important thing you can do in life is make an impact on someone else's life. And I really believe, you know, that's what I've meant to do. And that's what I love to do. Before coming to a kid again, I ran large scale gala dinners for an international nonprofit and learned so much about, you know, how you keep people engaged, how you inspire them through storytelling, and how you just elevate an experience that hopefully leads into more dollars raised. Perfect. Yeah. And it's exactly what we want to talk about today. Sort of the gala dinner aspect of it. I know, you know, at a nonprofit, there's many different ways to fundraise, but at Gibberji, you know, we support online fundraising, lots of different challenge events, you know, across the board, but galas are by far sort of the biggest part that we support. And, you know, I think for most charities, they're sort of main money spinner. So it's a good topic to speak about. So getting into that, so we'll break this conversation down into different stages. So, you know, it's like a, an event is how would you sort of go first about sort of starting to plan a gala? What goes into those early stages? Yeah, I think the, one of the most important things when you are thinking about planning is just give yourself time. The more runway that you can have, the better. I think the other really important thing is surrounding yourself with a great team. And for many not of the nonprofits I've worked for, we've been very small from a staff perspective. And so my experience and my preference really is to surround myself with a great team of volunteers who are passionate about the mission and what you do, because they can be an extension of you as a staff member. And so it's just so important to identify and get you know, volunteers who want to help really excited about the event and give them some leadership and some responsibility because then they're going to have this vested interest in making sure it's successful and have just this great lockstep collaborative effort to, you know, hit that fundraising goal or exceed it, ideally. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and what at a kid again, how do you approach your volunteers? Like, who do you try and get from your community to, to get in to help you? <laughs> it's always a challenge, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that really is a challenge. And, and for us in particular, because we are a growing nonprofit, not many people know about us. So we don't have that great brand recognition. I think, you know, my personality is I'm not shy. But I will always ask for help because you never know what's going to inspire someone or what you know, if they know a child or a family that would qualify for a program. And so that's going to be their motivating factor. So I always just ask. I think the you know, for those of us in the fundraising world, we got to have thick skin. And it's okay if someone says no, we can't take it personally, and we shouldn't take it personally. But you never know unless you ask. And so whether it's going to an outreach event in your community, whether it's leveraging, you know, a younger generation that really wants to get engaged and involved. Maybe they don't have that treasure, those dollars that they can donate, but they've got that time and they've got the passion and maybe they've got the social network. And so we've had a lot of success kind of recruiting, at least at a kid again, a variety of volunteers in terms of age and demographic. Because again, we're just asking all the time. We always spin it and promote volunteering for us as positive and fun and exciting. And I think 
you know, if you can convey that in a genuine way to those you're asking to support you, they will want to come along with you because of that excitement and because of that passion. So, you know, being genuine when you're asking is really, really important. Absolutely. And, you know, there's always volunteers at the live event and it's exciting. It's fun. If you if you don't spend your time at gala dinners, I think that's a big part, you know, coming along to a gala dinner is, is a fun thing to do, fun thing to be a part of. Exactly. Yeah. You've been a part of that planning process for months, months and months and months. And to see it all come together in one evening, that is just as inspiring and motivating for an attendee as it is for a volunteer. And hopefully then you've got that volunteer hooked for many, many years, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can talk about, you know, your goal for next year and how you're going to raise it. And it's going to be so exciting. And, and they want to be a part of that because they want to see that growth happen. And, you know, I've seen it many, many times, not only here at Akin again, but at previous organizations too. Just capitalizing and harnessing that volunteer passion is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's really interesting. And how far in advance are you planning usually? When do those initial conversations start? Yeah. They typically, I like to start them right after you wrap up, you know, that year's gala dinner. I think it's just important because again, you are riding that high from your success of the evening. And so as much as you can put into place as quickly as possible and do your assessments of what worked and what didn't work and just keep that ball rolling, you're going to have much more success. You're going to give yourself enough of a runway to make any changes or updates and dream about then how you're going to make it bigger and better. So are you doing a yearly gala at a kid again? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And how do you like set your goals for each one? Are there other goals that you sort of think about and consider early on? Yeah, you know, I think for us at Akinigan, again, because we are small but mighty and we are growing, our goals don't tend to be too aggressive, right? Because we are still creating that brand awareness, still educating donors about what we do and why we do it. So I tend to be a little bit more of a conservative goal setter, I love to exceed a goal. So sometimes that works in my favor. But we do break down and look at, okay, what did we make in the auction, whether it was silent or live or both? You know, how many packages do we have? How many bidders placed a bid? And and Givergy does a great job of providing all that data. And so can we tweak and motivate and inspire people, you know, with different kinds of packages? And again, that kind of comes back to your volunteer base and your volunteers that are helping plan the event, thinking about and asking them, okay, what would you purchase? Or what would your friends buy at next year's gala? Kind of planting that seed to that volunteer, you know, for them to help you think about elevated packages or, you know, just different kinds of experiences we've seen sell really well. So, you know, as you're doing your assessment of your previous year event, you know, I think you always have the opportunity to up your goal a little bit. And that's just going to be kind of dependent on, you know, who was in the room and, you know, how you felt like the production of the evening went, that sort of storytelling process. I think the other piece that we really look at and lean on is kind of our fund to need or fund to cure paddle raise portion of the evening really looking at 
any kind of opportunity to elevate donors. And so, you know, that means going through individually that list of donors and what they gave and how you can inspire them at the next level and then wrapping that into your goal. The other thing we've looked at is sponsorship and ticket sales. You know, those, again, those lines and buckets of revenue and looking at, you know, is there an opportunity to increase those sponsorship levels? That's probably the quickest and easiest way to raise a goal and and raise more money is elevate those sponsorships. And that all comes back to providing a great guest experience and being able to then go back to those sponsors and say, listen, you know, your guests had a great time. We got this great feedback. And now we've got this buzz about our event. It's going to cost you more. (laughs) You know, that's okay. Same goes for ticket sales. You know, again, if you've provided a great guest experience, guests the next year aren't going to blink. You know, if, if, it's maybe $100 more or a couple hundred dollars more a ticket because they know they're going to have fun and they know they're supporting a great mission. Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. And, you know, the donors who are coming back year after year, you've got to think about the way in which they don't get fatigued with a similar type of gala. So how do you sort of keep that energy going? How do you create differences from gala to gala? Yeah, right. You know, that's like one of the biggest things I... The million dollar question. Yeah, you know... <laughs> How do you make it fun and different and engaging year after year? Again, I think I go back to my volunteer base, those who have helped me plan the event. If you are giving them the opportunity to have some leadership roles, leaning on them, they're probably attending many other galas in the community. And so can you steal and borrow things from other organizations? That's okay to do because you're always going to tweak it and make it your own. But I think, you know, For some guests, they might be motivated or inspired by the different food or the different cocktails that you're serving. And that's fine and great. For some donors and attendees, they're going to be inspired and excited about, you know, the entertainment that you change up every year. And that's okay. And for those donors that are maybe those philanthropists, they're going to be inspired by that storytelling piece. And so making sure that that's really impactful every year is going to be important to that donor. Because I think, hopefully I'm alluding to, you have to understand that at your event, attendees are going to be motivated by different things. Some want to take home an auction item and that's how they're going to make their donation. Some are just going to buy their ticket or their sponsorship. And that's okay. And some are your philanthropists that are going to make a large donation, a large gift. And so you have to think about your event from that lens and make sure that you do inspire them at each part along your event. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's creating the balance, right? Like, how do you create the right balance of fun and, you know, spending the money on that, but also the importance of why we're actually all here and raising the money? Like, What is that balance for you? And how do you sort of go about deciding that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, the storytelling piece is so important. And storytelling can happen throughout the entire event. It's not just maybe on the stage during that one moment, but it's your pre-event communication. You know, why are you attending? What's the motivation? You know, maybe you have a table host or a sponsor that has the connection, but they've invited eight people that have no idea. They're just coming out for a fun time. And so working with that table host or that sponsor 
to say, listen, you know, please help us educate your guests. Here's some sample language. Make sure your guests see that information. It could be using the text messaging system and sharing a welcome video from a kiddo or a patient or a client, whomever that can help you start telling that story and dripping that importance of why we're all coming together to celebrate and fundraise. It can be signage at the event, educating them, you know, giving some donors are motivated by statistics. And so making sure those are front and center to guests along their journey for the evening. Again, I mentioned, you know, the storytelling piece. And again, again, we always have a family speak and share their story, share their diagnosis, but also share why they love a kid again and why it means so much for their family to come together and go to an amusement park or go to the zoo. And I can tell you every single time there are people in the audience that have tears, right? Because maybe they know someone or, you know, it's just that moment that you create, the lights are down, the music is soft, you have all this attention focused on the stage, on that family, on that speaker to make sure that that's where kind of like the big part of the storytelling piece comes into play. But you could also do it post events, you know, as you're leaving, whether it's having again, a client or a patient or even a board member thanking people, thanking guests as they leave. You helped us raise this much. You're helping make an impact. It's sending a text message after a thank you note. All of those pieces are so vitally important to the success and the stewardship of your guests and attendees because you don't want to have to work hard the next year to have people to come back, right? So it's an investment that we as fundraisers are making for our guests year after year to make sure they do come back and they do bring their friends and they do start talking about this great mission or they decide, hey, I want to serve on a volunteer committee or I want to join the board. All of this is so important as you continue to grow your brand, whether it's the organization brand or the event brand. Absolutely. And that piece of them being on stage, so a live speaker, all the galas that I've been to, I've cried at many. <laughs> I'm sure you have too. It's, yes. it is, it's really impactful. But yeah, it's important to also sort of balance that with the enjoyable evening, but whilst the message is still the through line throughout the evening. So absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in terms yeah. of the entertainment piece, right, again, is is important, whether it's a live band or, you know, you've got a fun auctioneer, you're doing a live auction you know, someone that's got that dynamic personality that can make jokes and and entertain people. Because if you are going to ask them to sit for a couple hours in their chair, you got to make it fun. Like yeah. game with them, you know, all kinds of stuff. Like, again, it's thinking about the motivations of different segments of donors in the room that evening. Yeah. And just on the fundraising there. So you've mentioned the silent auction and the live auction. What are the sort of fundraising streams that you always do at at a gala? I think, you know, the majority of people will do their appeal and their live auction and silent auction, but there are potentially raffles and other things. Like, in your opinion, what are the main fundraising streams that you shouldn't leave out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you know, sponsorship ticket sales, those are key and critical, obviously. Silent and live auctions. At a kid again, at my chapter, 
we haven't necessarily done a full-blown official live auction. Um, we're thinking about bringing that in to play, which is great because then it makes the event feel a little different. Silent auction, we've always done necessary evil, I think. For us fundraisers, there's probably a love-hate relationship with uh, with auctions in general, but I do think they're important. You know, they don't have to be hundreds of packages. I think you can be strategic about the number and type and quality that you do have that's going to, you know, be attractive for people. The appeal or fun to need is so important. Again, that's where you do your storytelling. That's where you have your mission moment. We've done raffles and um, liquor pulls and things like that, jewelry raffles as well. So yeah, I think that's one way that you can make your event feel different every year is sprinkling in some of those different opportunities, playing, you know, silly games that, you know, might require a, a small donation. I think, again, that's where you go back to your volunteers and your committee and you say, okay, how are we going to make this fun? How are we going to make it different? But the end goal really is to raise more money, right? So how can we add that element in? So with the caveat of if you are asking people to do a sponsorship or buy a ticket or table, then you're giving them the option to do a silent auction or a live auction and maybe a raffle. I think you have to be careful about nickel and diming people at an event. And that's just going to be the tolerance you know, of your guests and understanding your guests and who they are and, and what inspires them. So, you know, I think you can test it out year over year, right? Again, because it does make your event a little different each year, which is fun too. Yeah. And at Gibbergy, we've sort of seen sometimes when there's a smaller price point item, so whether that's for a heads or tails game or a raffle, sometimes guests sort of feel, okay, I've done my donation because I gave my $10 or $20 to that. And actually, you know, we would prefer you to look at the silent auction or get involved in the appeal moment, which might inspire you to give a little more. So, you know, we've had a sort of, there's an argument to say that actually doing your appeal and an auction is enough. So then people all give in those moments and that potentially could raise more. But yeah, I think you're totally right in trying it year in, year out. We work with clients who are definitely not doing a raffle this year and the next year they're doing the raffle again so <laughs> it is it is something to tell with your donors but yeah it's a funny concept of potentially taking that away so people give elsewhere and not not the lower price point absolutely absolutely i think you know if you are looking to elevate your event in terms of raising more money you have to act like you have an elevated event so you don't have a 10 dollar raffle you've got a hundred dollar raffle. And so, you know, then you're kind of maybe weeding out those guests and those attendees that really just wanted to spend the $10. That's not what you're looking for. You want to find the guests that are going to spend a hundred dollars. And if that means your event has to become a little smaller in attendance, that's not a bad thing. Because again, then you're elevating the capacity of those givers in the room and you can find and track down those $10 donors elsewhere and have different sorts of campaigns that inspire them. But if you really are looking to motivate or you know elevate and motivate bigger donors, your event has to look and feel that way too. Yeah, absolutely. 
So we can't talk about gala dinners without referencing the fact that we took a world break from live events recently. At Gibberji, we've adapted the way in which we support clients to ensure that modern themes such as virtual attendees, hybrid events, etc. are all accounted for. What are the main differences that you've noticed post-lockdown that we're back into live events? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that we've noticed is that our guests and donors... So typically, prior to COVID, we would have done our big ask, our mission moment, basically at the end of the evening, right? People have had a few cocktails, they've socialized, they've been inspired, they've spent money at the auction, and then we're going to ask them to raise their paddle. I think what's changed is that guest attention span is shorter. They know the drill. They know what they're there to do is give money. And our job is to figure out the best way to inspire and motivate them at the highest level they will give. And so we've moved up our appeal ask before we even start kind of the entertainment portion of the evening. We just knock it right out. And I've been shocked at how much more money we've raised. I think the other thing too, for our guests at Akinagan, that challenge or that match opportunity is really motivating for them to elevate their gifts and raise their paddle. We've seen a lot of success that I don't know if we would have seen prior to COVID. But again, I think the biggest change we've seen is that flow of the evening and moving up that appeal and that ask. And then I alluded to it earlier, less auction packages, but better quality. Our guests aren't really interested in taking home, you know, a small grilling package. Like they want the whole thing. They want the backyard makeover and the grill and the meat and all that. Make it a package and they'll spend two or three thousand dollars on that. No question. Absolutely. We squat a lot of clients who well the it varies a lot in terms of silent auction items. We generally say roughly 10% of your guests is a good number, but some people put 200, 300 in there, and we try and advise against it. And I know it's a difficult thing to for the nonprofit to get all of those in, but a smaller number we definitely recommend is better. But yeah, on that point of bringing the appeal earlier, that's an interesting point. Definitely, I think that's probably quite unique. I've not seen that hugely across other galas, so it's it's a good point for sure. Yeah, it's just interesting that I I wouldn't have thought that it would have been successful, but we tried it, and it just I don't know what it is. I mean, I don't know if it is the storytelling piece that we've really kind of refined and we've got it down to a science, but I do truly think it's that timing of in the evening that we just, we really hit like a magical spot, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is great. We love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do you think people are wanting to come back to live events? Are you seeing people's appetite still there? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think people are were ready and are ready to socialize again. One thing that we've done here at Akin again at my chapter, our dinner event is a casual event and it's outdoors and it's it's not in a ballroom and it, and you don't have to wear a fancy dress and it's a Thursday night. So we're not you know creeping into people's weekends and their plans and and kids sports and things like that. It's a Thursday night. We get down to business 
And, but we have fun while we're doing it. And I think people appreciate that because we're all busy, but we all want to support our community. We all want to give back to great causes. And so, you know, for us, moving around that time frame of it's not a, a chicken dinner on a Saturday night has worked for us. It's not to say those fancy, you know, dinner events aren't successful because they very much are successful. But for us, it's been interesting to see, you know, how we can grow this more casual outdoor dinner event that is a little more intimate. And that's the other piece that I would bring up too is we really limited attendance so that we can talk about selling out and limited tables and things like that. And we've been able to sell out every year to the point where people are asking us to host the event two nights in a row or host it in another part of the state, right? So like we've learned, okay, so maybe that more intimate experience is exciting and motivating for people. So it's two or 300 people. It's not six, seven, 800, a thousand people where, you know, you kind of lose that opportunity to be more personal and have that great touch points throughout the evening with guests. Yeah. And it makes it a little more, more exclusive. You know, you were saying about ticket sales before. It's like, I need to get my hands on a ticket because this is the event to be at. So yeah. yeah. And, it, and it gives you the opportunity then to raise the ticket price again. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you created this loyalty with your event. And so, you know, $50 more, $75 more, no big deal. Because I know mm-hmm. it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So on the point of ROI, that's obviously very important. You know, when throwing events, there can often be a lot of money spent on getting everything just right. The entertainment we touched on, the food, the cocktails you mentioned. But how do you balance investing in the event with ensuring you're still receiving a sort of strong return on your investment? Yeah, that's, again, you know, for us fundraisers, that's the biggest challenge, right? And so we've been really blessed and lucky and a kid again, because we have gone out to the community. We've recruited great volunteers. We're not afraid to ask. You know, we're able to get all of our auction items donated. We don't necessarily purchase much of anything. We always know we're going to pay food and beverage costs. And that's just is what it is. But being smart about, you know, what you serve people and, you know, what's exciting to that for that event. Maybe it's theme, etc. We're able to get Etiquette again, a lot of our alcohol donated, which is great. But, you know, I think the old adage of you have to spend money to make money is really important too. And so you can't be afraid to make that investment, make that investment in really great signage, make that investment in a great auctioneer that's going to inspire donors, make an investment, you know, in the storytelling piece of the evening. Maybe you have to do a video and you have to have it professionally produced. That's okay because you can then use that video again and again and again at different points during the year. So, you know, don't be afraid to invest money, but just be mindful. And we try to have a great balance of that at a kid again. You know, there are some years where we hit the nail on the head and, and we hit that mark and maybe we come in a little below what we thought we'd spend, but sometimes we go a little bit above it. But you know what? When we have done that, we've raised more money. And so that's okay, right? Like I'm okay with that. And so, you know, again, I think it's about knowing your budget, knowing your goals, knowing your donors, and having that great confidence in 
you know, the magic that you create that evening because you've planned well in advance and you've had great conversations. So, you know, I think it's an art and a science. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a difficult one to get the balance score, I'm sure. But as long as you're raising funds at the end, then that is the main thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think too, you know, many nonprofit professionals, many fundraisers, they're going to have their spreadsheets and their assessments of year over year, you know, just being mindful and being consistent about your hard numbers, right, is really important. Yes, fundraising, I think, is an art and a science, but that science piece is really being intimately connected to every number, every dollar that's coming in and out of the budget that you're managing is really important. And, you know, for a young nonprofit professional, a leader who's managing a budget, you're going to have hiccups along the way. And and hopefully you have a great teacher, a great mentor that's going to provide support. And for a more seasoned fundraiser, you probably have a little bit more of that gut instinct that you might rely on a little more. And as I've kind of grown in this profession, that gut instinct tends to be a little stronger and stronger every year. But it's because I'm more confident in my ability to fundraise. I'm more confident in the donors that I'm connecting with. I'm more confident in the event that we're planning. You know, so that's where that art comes into play. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it's about having a team. And like you said, you're volunteers, you can take advice from everybody. So yeah, as long as you've got that team around you, then you can you can get your confidence. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we can't underscore that enough, whether it's your volunteers, or your staff, just knowing and trusting them is really important to your success. Mm-hmm. So we're running out of time, unfortunately. So to wrap up the conversation, if you could give, I know you've got lots of advice there, but if you could give just three pieces of advice to nonprofits wanting to follow your success that you've had at Gala Dinners, what would those three things be? Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about it a lot really is for me, it's surrounding myself with people, people who are smarter than me, people who are passionate about what we're doing and, you know, making sure that they are brought along and understand my vision for success and we can work collaboratively together. So I think, again, it's just about the people, right? I think another piece of advice in terms of a successful you know, event is really that storytelling piece. I mean, you've, you've got to really make sure that you, you have someone speaking that is inspiring, that can connect with a crowd that can make, make people in the room cry because that's when you start pulling those heartstrings. That's when, you know, paddles are going to raise and you're going to see donations. I think the other really important thing is making sure that your event is fun because that's going to bring people back the next year. And so again, we touched on, you know, how do you make it a little different every year? How do you make it exciting? And it doesn't have to be big changes. It can be little changes that people notice year after year that makes it exciting for them to come back or makes it exciting for them to buy their own table and bring their friends, you know, the next year. And that's how you grow it. And so we've seen each of those pieces at our event grow every year and excited to keep exploring how we continue to inspire people to support again again. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Katie. That's been really, really interesting. I think there's a lot of valuable insight there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate having a great conversation. Me too. <laughs>
So to find out more about Katie and the amazing A Kid Again organization, head across to akidagain.org. We would love to hear your thoughts. So feel free to email podcast at com. You can also make suggestions on future topics or guests you would love to hear on the show. Thanks again. And don't forget to hit subscribe or follow to listen to look out for our next episode. Bye.